Hey, what's up, everybody? It's another episode of Ready, Set, Go. Today's going to be a jam-packed episode. We're going to talk about a little bit about track and field. We're going to talk a little bit about other sports and some thought-provoking topics that I think that you'll be interested in. But with no further ado, y'all know who my co-host is. Rodney Green. This is me right here. There it is, man. So let's get it started. Ready, set, go. Man, I think it's it's form-fitting in the time we're in, man, to um, talk about a, 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 a past friend and ultimate competitor in Tory Bowie, man, the sad loss that the uh, track and field community has been affected by, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, in track and field, we're used to seeing athletes pass when they have gotten to their glory years. And what I mean by their glory years, you know, their 70s, 80s, 90s, athletes who have lived a very long and fruitful life and they have been respected and they've given their, they've gotten their flowers throughout their, their years, you know, um, to lose an athlete who potentially is in their prime and still know, we know that they still have a lot of left in the tank. Um, very hurtful, very sad. Cause you know, track and field is regardless of what we feel, how much static it is, and how messy it can be sometimes. Track and field is a, a family sport. There's so many people who are part of our sport. We watch them grow up to be the athletes who they are. They've come from nothing and turned into something. And regardless of who you root for, you still root for the athletes who have made it thus far. So today we want to start off by paying homage to Tori Bowie. Um, she was a great athlete, um, great competitor. She had that dog in her. She has won championships. Uh, relay championships, individual championships. It's, what else you can say about her? She has been tried and true, man. And on top of that, a little known fact is, Rodney, you, you coached her, man. Yeah, I assisted in coaching her with Brooks Johnson, man. I actually, even before I assisted coaching her, I knew Tori right when she got to Lance Brahman. Like maybe that summer at the time she came, I can't remember the exact year, but I remember we were out eating with a, with a therapist. Uh, I'm getting a little personal about Tori because I knew her on a different level. She was at IHOP eating, bro. <laughs> this had to have been like in 2014 or something like that. Okay. And right. Tori was like, I'm going to be world champion. I said, on what? <laughs> She's like, in the hundred. Just like that? Just like that, bro. With the attitude. With the attitude and everything. And I was like, well, I don't know if you know how track and field work. I said, you just told me you a jumper. At this point, I don't know if she's a sprinter. And she loves jumping. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't know she was a sprinter. She loves jumping more than she loves sprinting. A lot of people don't realize that. Right. So she she said that, and she started getting like real aggressive. Like, man, stop telling me what I can't do. And I was like, I ain't telling what you can't do. But I mean, it's, it's people out there in which you have to climb the ranks. To, in order to beat them, like you can't just say you're gonna be a world champion and, and and that happens like that. So you fast forward to three years later, I'm at like a wine bar with Tori, uh, making a formal apology <laughs> because that's she you, was bro. world champion at that point. And that's you. <laughs> Our sport is a lot of people who are naysayers, yes. and then whatever the narrative change and that person becomes a champion, all those people who doubted them become real quiet. Except for you. No, no, no. I don't You're that kind of guy that you will, you will move through the crowd and be like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I got to go over there and say, Tori, I apologize. I Because I, <laughs> I apologize to Fred also. Yeah. I apologize to Fred. Yeah. I said, hey, man, you did, but I didn't think you can do. But 
to back on Tori, man, like just her saying that and believing her in herself, man, she believes so much in herself, no matter what kind of coach she had. But I can honestly say by assisting and coaching her, I've witnessed some of the most craziest things in training from Tori at a very minimal level. When I tell you, I think Tori could have broke the world record in the women's hundred. I don't want anybody to think that's far-fetched. The times, and you could ask the coaches who've coached her previously, they would say this too. The times you see that on paper is Tori not dedicating herself 100% to the sport. So, so let's geek out a little bit here because there's always going to be those coaches going to be like, my athlete was on world record pace in practice. We've been heard that a lot. Can you give us a little bit of detail on kind of the paces and the time that she was hitting so, so the world can know exactly what you're talking about? So I'm going to plug a company here, and they're pretty sure they're going to be happy. I plug the free lap. Everybody know a lot of athletes around there, we use free lap. Shout out to free lap. Right. They've, always been, they've always been a good company yeah. that love track and field. Free lap. So we have a free lap. Um, I had Tori training on. We were doing some flying 60s. So me and Brooks were timing her on these flying 60s, and her coming through, going through the first 30, we were timing the second 30. Second 30, Tori hit 269 twice, bro. Now, if anybody, any coach that coached by numbers, I'm I'm one of those coaches who coach by the numbers. 269 is amazing. (laughs) For a female, it's it's good for a male, really, but it's amazing for a female. And the reason why I say it was amazing for Tori, one, 269 in a flying 30 from a female is kind of unheard of. Most... Most females that run 11 flat usually come through in like 295. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but it was amazing because that week, well, like three weeks prior, if we counted up 15 days, which would be three weeks of training, Tori probably came to practice maybe 10 days, bro. <laughs> Over the <laughs> three weeks and did that. So just that raw natural talent. Bro, I'm just, like what? It's when they tell you, when you see somebody that run like the wind, they, they do. And you could ask the people that train with her, they would tell you the same thing. She didn't have to dedicate 100% of her life to track and field to do what she, depend, the numbers that you see on paper to do what she did. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was amazing to me, like, because it was like a real deal gazelle moving. That's, those are the kind of things that you kind of like, you wish that, them, that they stuck with it. And they show more dedication because of those glimmers of hope. But for athletes in our sport, a lot of them don't even understand and can't concept time and how it's structured. They leave it up to their coach to tell them, say, hey, what time am I on? Oh, that's good. All right, cool. Put the stopwatch back in the pocket. You had a good day. And usually athletes are okay with saying, okay, my coach had a good day. We good. You know? But but that's 100%. But let me make it, uh, break it down even a little bit more. So a female or an elite female usually covers those numbers at, at, at 0.9 high, 0.98, 0.97. You know, that give you like a 10.9 around that range. Um, Tori would have been clearing at 269. She would have been coming through at 2.9 low. Like Jeez. low. Okay. <laughs> 0.9, almost like what males do, like where they go 0.89 or, you know, at your level, you guys were doing like 0.85. Yeah. Tori was clearing like, in that second 30, that segment, she would have been accelerating that two line low which is extremely, well, if a coach sees that, he's like, this athlete is going to do something amazing. But the funny thing is, after she had that practice, Tori disappeared for like a week and a half. Wow. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> so so on, on the, 
to give everyone a bigger picture, if she was on that pace in that kind of workout, if she ran 100 meters with that number or those segments in 100 meters, what pace would we be looking at that she could have been on? Well, look, she stuck with it. We're looking at maybe 10.5 at that time. Tori would have ran 10.5. If she stayed dedicated, we kept her healthy and kept her in the regiment, yeah. she probably would have ran 10.5. And the funny thing, I think uh, even the Adidas reps knew that she was an amazing talent. I always say that um, if she retired, she would be one of the greatest talent who be, who most of the world who haven't coached her or met her on a personal level won't know how great her talent was. So basically, because 10.5 is definitely mind-blowing. 100%. But it's something that we can say that's possible because we've seen it happen in the past with Flojo, but we've also seen Elaine run 10.5, what, a year ago? Yeah. So, so you're telling me right now, if she's kept at that pace and she was doing what she's supposed to do and stay on top of everything and she was here with us today, she would be out there banging with these female Jamaican elite sprinters. Well, let's not forget, not banging. She's the last American to beat the Jamaicans. She she's, is. The last, she's the last American. So, she let's is. Not, so let's not forget that. And remember, all of her 10-7 races and all of the races that she's won, she's won them from the back. When you talk about an Elaine or a Shelly Ann, no disrespect to them, they dominate the race from the front. She rises from the back and, and wins races. Which, if she's running 10-7 from the back, what tells you if she had a better start, she probably is in maybe 10-6 shape, running herself down to 10-7. You know so she mean? had a lot of room to grow there. 100%. But like I said, her, her not dedicating as much time as she would like, or a or, or coach would like because we know her talent, Yeah, <laughs> we would never see it because we get excited when we see those numbers. It's crazy. So... One of my stories I have is we were, I was helping her with her starts in leading up into 2017. And 2017, if you know her stats, she went out and won the world championships. Not saying that my start or my assistance helped her win a world championship. <laughs> Let's get that clear real quick. But I knew that she was dedicated to the fact of she wanted to fix some of her flaws, right? So I would come over and we couldn't go to tracks because, you know, around here, tracks were off limit. If if you went at practice with your group, the track pretty much was locked. The mm -hmm. gate was locked. So we literally had to either go in her parking lot, go on some grass. It's been times where we go in her living room and set up the blocks on the carpet to understand how she needs to come into the right set position, how she needs to exit and move from the blocks, how she needs to make sure that she keeps her heels lower and not as high as she comes out of the blocks. Um, but she showed so much promise and so much hunger to be better. And it showed in 2017 after she won the world championships in the 100 meters. I don't want you to discredit yourself in the information you have to give. One, I think the athlete is a lot better when they're seeking out information on their own because they're not self-reliant on the coach. That's athlete accountability. And Tori had that because she wanted to win. She was a certified dog. If you told her you was going to beat her, she would do everything in her power for you not to do it. <laughs> not to do it. <laughs> she, was, she, was, she, was, she was that. So I don't want you to disregard credit because at that time you were one of the best starters in the world after 15. You know what I mean? Uh, shoot, arguably better than most in history. So I wouldn't discredit the information that you gave her because it ended up in the world championship. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's true. So I would, I definitely wouldn't do that. And I, and I, I want to, you know what I mean? Just, I thank God that I was, I was blessed to coach something like Tori. Assistant coaching her, meeting her, 
And um, she was a beacon of light when she was happy. Her smile, and I never called her Tori. She always hated because I called her by her a government name, which was Friend Torch. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't know that. A lot that. of people don't she know that. She used to be like, stop calling me that, Rod. <laughs> I gotta, she probably I be looking around too like, shh, shh, shh. Don't be telling anybody that. she always used to say, because if, if, if she didn't have my number, once she answered the phone, I'd be like, friend Torch. She'd be like, Rod. <laughs> she'd be like, Rod. Because she knew I was the only person that called her that. Yeah. So she was like, <laughs> so like yeah, man. But her, she was like, when she was up, you know what I mean? She she was like alive why you'd like to be around her and everything like that. So, I mean, God rest her soul. Yeah, man. She was definitely one of one, man. <laughs> Last story we're gonna, definitely going to talk about is with, with Tori is that, um, well, one, I want to talk about how she told me part of her upbringing. I was like, well, what was it like growing up, you know, really in the country of Mississippi? She was like, you know, we used to have a lot of family reunions, like not even annually, but like almost almost every other weekend, you know what I mean? So everyone would get together, they would gather and they would bet on Tori racing against horses while she was on foot. So I guess she would be spotted. She would get spotted a certain length and they would run the horses next to her or, or beside her in some way. And she would go out there and race horses, like on some Jesse Owens stuff, right? <laughs> no, seriously, man. I, it blew my mind when she told me that. I was like, I was like, that's how you got into running? She's like, yeah, that's how I got into running. I was naturally fast. I knew I was fast. I can beat everybody. Everyone that was in my town and thus far. But she said I would go out there and race horses. I was like, man, that makes so much sense why her start wasn't as good, but her top end speed was so superior because she knew that she had to be efficient when she ran at top end speed. Hell, you run against horses, dog. <laughs> you know what I mean? Real horses. Um, another story is, one thing if you know Tori, she loves, she's a country girl, man. She loves going home, man. Mm, so, she does. <laughs> no she matter does. where she was in the world, she can be in London, she can be in Japan, she can be in Rome. If she's going back to the U.S. after that meet, the first place she's going is to Mississippi. Yep. I was like, Tori, they don't sell tickets from London or Rome straight to Mississippi. She said, I know. So, I mean, you got to take a journey to get back home. She said, it's well worth it. She was always that kind of person that need to go home, need to clear her mind, her, her spirit, and then come back to practice. So, shout out again. You know, we appreciate everything you've done for our sport. We're going to miss you. We're going to love you. Always. Definitely. Definitely. On a lighter note, man, let's get into that uh, that uh, Tara Davis Woodhall talk with <laughs> that other young girl. Uh, what's her name? Quinesha? Quinesha yeah. Burks. Yeah, Q. What do you think about how she went online and she's like, 1v1, 5,000, I'll pay for your flight. Where you at? That's big dog talk right there. <laughs> really, seriously. I, and I didn't think Tara had that in her. I didn't think Tara was going to respond the way she did. But the way she responded, that was big dog talk. She's like, look, I put, I put personally 5K on the line against you. 1v1. No, no, no. Not 5K. She said 5K and I'll pay for your flight. That's all I was going <laughs> to say. And I'm going to pay for your flight. So she was real with it. Real with it, man. Real with it. I, I like it, though. I think that's kind of what our sport needs. But, I mean, she backed it up, bro. I don't know if you saw on May 5th. You know, man, she jumped 707, which was a world lead. <laughs> After her band, you know what I mean? I mean, you know, and, and her band wasn't for anything uh, like PEDs. It was for like medicinal purposes or whatever. They call it what it is, man. <laughs> she, got, she, she got banned for marijuana. <laughs> marijuana, yeah. She, which, which is a tricky situation because if you look at the rules, the rule says you cannot have any of that in your system when you're competing. It, out of competition, you can smoke, edibles, do whatever you want. 
But if it stays in your system when it's time to compete, that's when you're going to get in trouble. That's the loophole that they put out there so a lot of these young people don't realize that how long it stays in your system. And if you look online, there's no definite answer how long it stays in your system. So it's just a shot in the dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Tower came back and she mean business. 707 ain't no slump jump. I mean, no, 695 ain't no slump jump. But 707, man, she 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 back and she talked that talk and she went out there and then she walked that walk. Hey, that's um that's some Kobe stuff right there, dog. Man, 100%. That's some Kobe stuff. 100%. She, she looked at the adversity that she went through, bro, and she was like, you know what? This shit is not going to stop the show. 100%. Not going to stop the show. We going out here and doing our thing. So shout out to Tara to be able to back up her, uh, her beef that she have and that noise she was talking, and she got the world lead right now. Man, I, I think it does amazing for their event because now a lot of people are going to be watching them, their event. When both of them are in the event, they have to put on a show. So um, Tara has great showmanship. You know, I like the cowboy hat and everything else. Uh, the cowboy boots that she comes to the track and wears, so that's that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> she she's a great showman, and I think that's that's bringing that's good that they both bring light to their events. So shout out to both of them. So do you feel like the cowboy boots, the laugh and the talk, and that's really naturally her? Pardon? All day. I think that's authentically her. I okay. think um I think she was doing that. I don't know her personally, but yeah. I think she looks like somebody who was doing that before the camera was on her. She looks like a a big ball of energy. So, okay. you know what I mean? I, I think so. Oh, well, shout out to her once again, man. So, Doha this weekend. Doha. Doha just passed. Man. The Diamond League Doha. Where do you feel about that? Well, first of all, personally, Doha is one of my favorite races. I had a lot of good history in Doha. Broke the world record there. Set my personal record uh, in Doha almost 12 years later. Yeah. You still got the meet record there. I still got the meet record there. <laughs> 974. 974. Hey, <laughs> all your boys, Fred, all y'all, y'all stay away from my record now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, Doha was amazing this weekend, man. I think um shout outs to uh Shakiri um and and uh Sharika and, and the rest of the field, man, for putting on a good show in Doha, man. They're making that the woman's hundred a, a look that place. But Shakiri looked amazing. Not that because she the time she ran. Um, but how she ran it, you know, it was very impressive. She ran it with a very mature race pattern. hundred percent. Shout out to our coach, Dennis Mitchell, for, for uh, Dennis Mitchell for working on that. But like, yeah, it was a very mature one. She didn't panic by being in the back or anything like that. And that's, I think that's the first time she's probably ran down somebody who has a, a PB of 10-7. That's true. With Sharika. Who's right next to her? They were going stride for stride, and Sharika isn't also known to be a good starter, but she at least had a shoulder, shoulder and a half on her. Mm -hmm. So as the race progressed, you can just see uh, Shakari staying in her drive phase, staying in her transition, and just keep working that until she got to the end of the race, with about maybe what fifteen meters to go, ten mm -hmm. meters to go, and then she kind of just prevailed. Mm -hmm. She looked really relaxed in the face. Um, the one thing I looked at between the two of them was the ground contact time as she moved. Um, Sharika had more ground contact time than Shakiri. She's more powerful, but that ground contact time was less for Shakiri. Her feet was up and down, up and down, up and down, and Sharika, it looks like her whole foot was on the ground, but I say someone Sharika, like Sharika gets that fixed, mm -hmm. uh, and which her coach will, I think the next time we see Sharika is going to be something different. But... Uh, 
yeah, you can't. You can never count out Sharika. You can never count out Shellyann nope. or Elaine. Even if it is an Olympic Olympic year, no. Elaine's always known to run better during Olympic trials, 100%. Olympic years than it is during World Championship years. But they're all formidable opponents. Um, but you know, Shigeri has a lot to prove this year. You know what I mean? I think that's how she she operates. Is like, y'all think I can't? I'm gonna show you that I can. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 um, I, a lot of people are pulling for her, man, and I like that she have a lot of people in her corner, man. She seems like she's in a different headspace this year, um, which is which is really great, which makes really great for her event. Um, what would you think about the two hundred, the men's two hundred? Uh, surprise, but not surprised. So I'll surprise in certain situations. So, um, not surprised that Fred won. Fred is a, a strong competitor, right? So he going to show up if he's ready. We already seen him run a very dominating 200 meters when he went down to Australia. You know what I mean? It wasn't the fastest time, but he dominated the race. And he showed a lot of on point and it's going through up to this point now. But 1992 and the way he did it, I mean, he wasn't even leading with 50 meters to go. And then all of a sudden he just hits another gear and just took off. Took off, man. What's your what's your thoughts on it? I just like the how he how comfortable he was, you know what I mean, to close the race. I I call Fred sometimes like playing possum. Like he he trying to gauge to see how strong he is because he know what caliber athletes he is. Mm-hmm. He's wondering, he's not scared to take chances on himself, even if he takes the L because he learned something about himself. So it looked like he just kept them at at arm's reach. And then if I wanted to make a move, I want to see how strong I can make it to see what will happen. But I think coming towards the end of the year, he won't be able to win a, win a 200 that way. No, no, he ain't going to win a 200 that way. I mean, the thing is, it's all about progression. I think that he's smart to realize that everyone's still progressing. But the, the rate he's progressing at, and he also has the fact that he has volume, depth, and endurance in his back pocket. Yeah. You know, he's a 400-meter runner that has dropped down to the two and the 100 meters. So he has a foot speed on top of that. So he's racing against these 200 meter guys. He knows that most of these 200 meter guys don't have the foot speed that he possesses and it showed in that race too. Mm-hmm. What was surprising in that race for me was Michael Norman. Oh, okay. Michael Norman w- was surprised. I-, I hope he's not injured or anything like that. But I, I mean, he, the way he performed is like way off of what, what we're used to seeing out here in, um, and track and field. He's a 19-7 runner, but he, he he fell back really deep, in which I hope he's okay. Yeah, he, that has me scratching my head, man, because I had him I had him winning the Mount Sack, running a sub-10, actually running closer to a 9-9 low, and that didn't happen. And then in this race in Doha, it was just like he was a non-factor. You know what I'm saying? Come off the turn, it was like he just, everyone just stepped away from him. So I don't know if it's just he's still he's still heavy from lifting and running or if he's burnt, you know what I'm saying? From changing from the 400 down to the hundred already so fast. So, I mean, we all want to see the best out of all these athletes, but it may take time for that transition to happen for him. So we'll see, we'll see what happens, man. But what do you think about Kung Fu Kenny, Aaron Brown? Um, I think Aaron Brown is putting up consistent numbers. Um, I think this could be a, a really good year to where you know, he's trying to make his case to make the podium. You know what I mean? He's made every final there is to make. Every final you look in, Aaron Brown is there. You know what I mean? So I think 
Uh, I think he PR'd in the 400 earlier this year. He opened yep. up in nine seconds. Yeah. And he backed it up with like another 10 0. And then he ran 20 flat. I think he's, he's kind of figuring out at a mature level of what he wants to do and more so taking his career and his, his, his own hands of thinking, I need to be consistent in this way to where I can have a drop at the right time. Well, you know, that's both of our old training camps. And I, and I trained with him. So listening to him talk, you know what I'm saying, before the season even started, after last season, he just seems so much more mature. Like he comes to practice with the mindset of saying, you know what, I got to dominate practice because that's going to practice and train me to dominate in a real competition. So I think he's trying to find himself and trying to make sure that he knows every race is going to count. Because if you just keep going and say, man, it's not my turn yet, or they can have that one, you're going to look back in the rearview mirror and you're going to see all them damn L's. You're going to be like, L, 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 L. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's time to work and fight, and fight for that, um, that W. Because mm -hmm. once you start getting that W, that confidence comes. And then you realize, okay, I beat these guys who have beaten me in the past consistently. Now I can beat these guys and I can beat these guys when it counts. Mm -hmm. Kung Fu Kenny. Kung Fu Kenny is a is a is a is a lights camera action guy. No matter how he performs, you know what I mean. When it comes to championship time, he's like the dark horse. He'll make the team or or something, but no, he'll be that guy that's kind of down. I guarantee you, on the list last year, you know, based on his injury and everything else, nobody had him making the U.S. team, let alone meddling at the World Championships. But I don't ever count Kung Fu Kenny out. I don't think this means a lot. Him getting second, I think. You know, he's still in the mix. He's a, he's, a, he's a medalist. So you can't never take him out, and he's always ready for the championship. I mean, that's facts. I mean, his injury, a lot of people don't realize his injury was severe. Yeah. You know, um, he, I think he dropped a coffee table on his, on his foot. foot. Yeah. And literally the coffee table sliced him down to the bone. So you're looking at one of the most important parts of your body of running, which is your foot and your big toe, and it was sliced down to the bone. So he had to figure out within the time frame of being already in season or getting ready for season, how to be able to have a surgery, how to have a rehab, how to have a comeback and still make an Olympic team and then go on to win a medal during that time period too. So shouts out to him for having that fortitude to do so, man. Kenny, I want to see that, that last 50 meters, man. As this season goes on, I want to see a gear change in that last 50 because you know – all them usual suspects, from Noah to Arian to Fred Man, to DeGrasse, they going to show something in the last 50 meters of that 200 meters. And I believe if Kenny has something left in the tank for them, for them in that last 50, it'll be, a, it'll be a game changer for him, man. 100%. I think um, another surprising one was, uh, was DeGrasse. You know what I mean? I, um, even though he's – you can never take him out. He – he literally plays possum until championships. He won't even win his national championships, but then come to Worlds or Olympics. And every World or Olympics he's been to, he walks away with hardware. It don't, it don't matter which one. You pick anyone. Since he turned pro, he's walking away with something. Listen, <laughs> I watched him since the moment he left NCAAs. He came out on the scene 2015 and got him and tied uh, Trayvon for third place in the uh, 100 meters and 15, man. So he, and from that moment on, every championship, like you said, he's meddled in some form in some way, yeah. right? Yep. So he knows how to be able to show up when it's time to show up. My only concern is in the past, he's trained and he's been coached by people who have coached other elite sprinters 
I think in the situation he is now, I'm concerned because I don't think that coach can take him and, and maintain him at that level when it's time. The jury's out, and I'm going to pull a rod, man. I'm going to pull a rod and say, hey, if it happens and he gets on that podium and he gets a medal from this season, I'm, I'm going to come up to him. I'm going to move to the crowd. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> I'm going to move to the crowd and be like, hey, DeGrasse, I apologize. <laughs> but so, I just want to I, I want, I'm concerned because I know that he has a lot more potential, and I think that I don't know if this coach can be able to get it done for him. So if you're him you're pressing the panic button now or because it's still early. If I'm him, I'm pressing the panic button because I'm scratching my head because I don't want to be the guinea pig. Don't, <laughs> don't see if you can be an elite male sprint coach when you are an elite um, female hurler coach, right? You, you've, you've shown that you can do that there. But I'm going to scratch my head and say, have you done it on my side? Because now it counts the most. And that's, that's fair. And that's fair. If you if you haven't had one before, I mean that's not a fair assessment. No attacking or anything. That's a fair assessment to say. Okay, you are the guinea pig because you are the first one. So, I, I guess that's a, a a fair thing to go by. Um, but I don't know, man. I'm not I'm not pressing the panic button with with, with him yet because I think from his experience, he's been pro a, a long time. So even with this coach, he could be like, Hey, yo, this is what I used to do here, here, and here. You need to implement things like this into training. If he does that and then he has a different showing on the next race, he drops 19.9 or he goes out and runs 10.0 on 9.98, then we're back on track. I feel like he's been in the game long enough to kind of assist his coach in what was, what was successful for him. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> but you pressing the panic button. You're like, I'm pressing. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I'm, I'm, the reason why I'm pressing the panic button is because as an athlete, and you know this, man, as an elite athlete and you know your body, the thing is, you're going to feel if you're in shape or not. 100%. You're going to be like, man, I don't know, bro. I don't feel like we ain't doing the workouts we did before and nothing, any kind of workouts he's giving me, they're not equating to what I've done before. Yeah. And so if, I'll be pushing the panic button, man. Your if, body going to tell you if you're ready or not. Yeah, that's when you go for that gear and you realize it ain't there. It you're ain't like, there. You're like third and then you're like, me. I can't go to fourth. <laughs> you be at practice hitting it, hauling ass. <laughs> Come across the line, breathing hard. Hey, coach, what was the time? It was a, not a time you thought. You be like, for real? You serious? <laughs> so you are walking slow back to the line like, hold on, dog. <laughs> I was riding up out of my skin on that one, dog. <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's a, it's a mind and body situation. If, if your mind is telling you, hey, man, the body ain't ready to hit it. You know what I mean? You might need to slide that finger to the panic button and see what happens. Okay. Yeah, I, I get you. Shoot. Another thing we had this weekend, man, we had the Adidas Boost Atlanta. I think it was Atlanta City Games. Street race, yeah. yeah street, street race, race man. What, what was some, uh, we had some special moments there, man. I, I watched, I watched uh, the female hurdles, man. I was really impressed with Tia Jones. Um, I didn't know that she went pro out of high school. That that's new for like a hurdler. Like I've, I mean, you always hear about sprinters going pro out of high school, but like for a female hurdler, I've or, or any hurdler, I've never heard of that. At least in my time, and if I could be wrong, like it could have happened, and I just don't know about nah, it. No, I, I don't remember any hurdler going pro. From high school, 
And it's not that many sprinters that go pro from high school too. If you, it's only a handful, man. Um, shout outs to Tia, man, because I think she's been pro for about what three or four years now. Yeah, she's twenty two. She's okay. twenty two. She's twenty two years old, and um, she pulled off an upset this weekend, um, taking down Kenny, former world record holder, man. But that girl's fierce. She ain't backing down, bro. She she and and she she's been in um. Some of the, uh, she has the second fastest time in the world at 12.44. You know what I mean? She ran it at Drake uh, before the Booze, Booze Games. Yeah. But like, yeah, I just, I just think that this, she, she's a, she's one to watch. Like, she was one of the ones who I was like, I've seen her before, but now I'm watching her now. When she gets on the track, I am watching her now. Do you, do you realize how hard it is for an athlete to go pro straight from high school? From uh, I feel like it's challenging physically, mentally, and emotionally, man. Because first of all, you dominate in high school. You in a whole not, you on a LeBron James kind of level. Like you just killing all the competition in high school. Probably your main competitors in high school are also the people that look up to you, your fans and your supporters. Hundred percent. You know, you could be that line, be like they looking at you like, "Good luck today, girl." You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and they and they in the race. And they in the race with you. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, um, shouts out to that because I feel like. Athletes who go straight from high school and turn pro, you know, we look at them now and say, oh, man, that was a that was a, a great move for an awesome individual. But if you think about it, there's always a stagnant, a stagnant time frame when they come out of high school to go pro. And you can go on and list and name almost every one of them, mm -hmm. starting with the great Allison Felix. Mm -hmm. She had a moment where she kind of like she was running good times, but she was stagnant for like a year or so. Mm -hmm. And then she had to transition over in about 2004 and start really getting her, her wheels going, you know? Mm -hmm. um, same thing with uh, Candace Hill. Bolt. 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 Same Bolt thing with Bolt. High school, but he, he had a stagnant period. You know what I mean? I think that, that pyramid flips upside down. They're at the top of the pyramid when they're in high school. Yeah. And it flips when you're in the pros. Yeah. They, don't, they don't understand the dynamic. You don't have as much meets. But I think I think the training needs to change. I don't, I don't necessarily think that you can stay with your high school coach once you turn pro. You have to be in a pro-style system um, that teaches why you need to do what you're doing in the fall to get to the spring. Because when you're in high school, it's totally different. You start racing a lot earlier, uh, developing a whole lot earlier than what a pro would because you, we're running deep into the summertime. They're not. Their season is done. They about to do fall workouts when the world championship is about to go. Yeah, on. yeah. So do you feel like it's like a an elongated process because now your high school coach got to figure out how to train a professional athlete so they're learning and then they got to figure out how to translate it and teach you as a high school athlete to be able to run like a professional? 100%. But I think, I think there's a lot of unknowns in there, right? I think sometimes you have a freakish athlete who needs to be in a pro-style setting, who stays in the, in the childless setting too long. So as that child doesn't have time for the coach to try to navigate how to coach a pro, mm -hmm. they just need to find a pro coach. Yeah. And if they're going to quit their job and then assistant still say they're going to be child's coach at that point and, and try to learn, they can do that in a tandem. But I don't think once this child has a contract with a shoe company, they should be trying to figure it out because now you're playing with this man's life. At first... No money was involved. It was for kicks and giggles. But yeah. now we have 
dollars on the line. No, we need the right thing. We need we need the right people. I'm biased, man. I think because I watched Kalen, Kalen Whitney grow up and uh, turn turn pro straight from uh, high school, and um, from the outside looking in, it always looked glorious. It always looks like, man, you you pro now. You know what I'm saying? You with us, and you only uh, uh, 17, 18 years old. That's crazy. But then watching her evolve from uh, a high school mindset to a professional, like it was a lot of hard times for her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I remember talking to her and she was sitting watching races and Diamond League races of all the people that she idolized or, or she cheered for, or even training partners. And then the next thing you know, she's thrown into those races. And you know, as a youngster, you know, you don't get them premier lanes. You're getting lane one or lane, lane eight. Nine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or nine, whatever. If it's a nine-lane track, yeah. lane one, lane eight, or lane nine. You're getting inside, extreme inside, or extreme outside. And I don't think that's really, especially on a diamond league level, I don't think that's really good emotionally for a lot of these athletes because you got to realize that these athletes aren't used to losing. No. They're not used to losing. And them being not even a full-fledged adult yet, they're taking those, they're taking those hits and those losses to heart. And they're questioning themselves and be like, man, I'm really cut out for this. So now they got to wait a whole year or more and hopefully they survive that emotionally and say, okay, I'm ready to roll now. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think too, uh, she, it's, it's hard when your idols become your rivals, right? Because I, I think when, at the time when she was dominating the high school circuit, you know, she was training out there at the NTC. A lot of her idols, like Veronica Campbell, who was still running, shout out, um, and all of the bigger name athletes were still running. They would, they would champion her. They would be like, oh, good job. But now when you go and she turns pro and she's on the same line you are in Doha, you racing for money. So I can't be like, oh, tell me, tell me with you. You about to take some money out my, out my household. Yeah. So now I could talk to you after this race, but I'm not going to give you or champion you like I used to because before you was not a threat. Yeah. So I think that was hard to, to 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 do because you had to meet and before these people were so nice and now they walking straight past you because they locked in. Yeah. You've never seen these people on that level where you have to lock in. Yeah, they're not even locked in. That you you a competitor now. Exactly. So I ain't gonna talk to you. No, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. You the op now. Yeah. Cause I think they didn't think she was gonna turn pro. So now it's like, oh yeah, you next up. But then when you look in lane one, you like, oh, you you like next up now. Yeah. You like now, and that's the last person you want to get beat by. You want to get beat by the young rising star, though, no, because that's the narrative. Yeah, that's the narrative of the whole meet and everything. Because they, that's what they're gonna post: Olympic champ or Olympic medalist get beat by child phenom, and that's why people run away from it. Yeah, you know what I mean. But I think the shortest learning curve, I probably think, was probably Arian, because he probably got a medal in the shortest period amount of time out of any kid. I think that came an individual medal. Metal and at the age of what, 18 or 19, <laughs> forward, huh? Yeah, yeah. To but, open the season up with. And which you can't put them in anybody's shadow because nobody at that age have ever done that. No. Or not even Bolt. So you no. can't even be like the next Bolt. You can't even put that on his name. He is Arian, one of one. You know what one I mean? One of one, dog. One of one. One of um, one. Speaking of Arian, does the 150 with him and Noah, how Noah, Noah ran a, a really good time and the, and the straightaway 150? Does this mean anything for Arian? I think he, he got second place in that race. Uh, does that mean anything for him? Not To me, not really, because a 150 is, is, is kind of like a, a novelty race. It doesn't really 
amount to something. It's that awkward middle of 100 meters where people love to watch, and it's 50 meters less of a 200 meters, which is really his true discipline. So it's like, it's just, I feel like it's just testing. It's testing your skills. It's testing to see where you're at. It's testing to see what your raw top-end speed is at that point in time. Um, and it's just like, it's like an all-star collective. That race right there had Omanyala. It had uh, Noah. It had Arian. It had yeah, um, Jareem. Nathaniel Mitchell Blake. It had a couple of people in there that you all be like, oh, shit, I want to see what they do this year. Okay, cool. But I don't. if I was Arian, I wouldn't even really take this 150 to heart. because. I will want to go back and keep on training because now you know what time you're at and now you can see where your competitors are moving in that kind of like that 150 range. Mm -hmm. Around, man, Omen, y'all gave him all they could handle for about Ooh. 120. <laughs> for about 110, 120, he gave them all of what they Listen, could handle, boy. Last Wednesday, we were talking about it yeah. online. I was like, look, if Omen, y'all go out there and win this 150 <laughs> and beat these cats in the 200, boy, I had nothing to say. <laughs> I have nothing to say. I was like, this boy ready for this podium, boy, for real. But what, what do you do after the race? I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, Noah pulls out his gun and he shoots everybody with an imaginary gun with his fingers. How do you take that as a competitor? So he goes down the line and just bang, 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 bang. After he comes through the finish line, they turn around. He turns around and he bang, like, like he shot everybody dead and then goes off and gets his interview. <sighs> What, what, you said, what do I do? Yes. Listen, <laughs> uh, first of all, I dodged that damn bullet, okay? <laughs> you, you shot me, you wounded me, but um, you got to kill me, dog. Because <laughs> at that point in time, I'm, I'm tapped in. It don't matter who I'm racing against for that point on, as long as I beat you. <laughs> From this point on, you can never beat me again in life, and I'm working on that. <laughs> so you said if, if you get third, nine out of ten, no one's going to be fourth. They got to. <laughs> they got to. All because of the gun, the little gun motion he made. Yeah, yeah. He should just gracefully win and take his win and just walk away. I'm, I'm not saying gracefully, but I mean, that's a big gesture, dog. You turn around and just shoot the whole field down. <laughs> Literally. Literally. You just shoot the whole field down. We see how you won. You, he won in grand fashion. You know what I'm saying? He's, a, he's in top shape. He's in good form. Um, but the fact of him turning around and shooting everybody down... Man, right. I, I like that. I like that. Reason why I like that because I think it makes the competition stiffer. If you feel the way you feel, I know Arian, Omanyala, Nathaniel Mitchell Blake, and everybody who was in that field feels that same way, which makes them compete that much better, which means we possibly could be looking at a faster 100 meter times out of these guys or 200 meter times. Listen, don't get it twisted now. Um, I am, I'm for it. I think it's definitely entertaining to watch. <laughs> yeah, but it you was asked me, You asked me from a perspective of me being an athlete again and how I feel about it and getting shot at. Hell no, nah, that shit ain't happening. <laughs> but if I'm in the stands and I'm watching, man, I'm like, pass me that popcorn, dog. This shit is getting spicy. It is. It, it is. I would love to, to hear what was on their brains, but I, I kind of know, you know, sprinters usually have egos. So I know and maybe bruised. And they go back to training, they're going to train the best they can to be at Noah's best or better than Noah at when they see him again, man. That, that right there is going to be crazy. Well, he's just, that's on, that's on a different level of a, of a disrespect, though. <laughs> that's on a different level of disrespect, man. It, that, ain't, it ain't nothing different than what Maurice did with the fire extinguisher. No, man, that's different, dog. <laughs> Maurice Green 
put out his own spike. Well, actually, his teammate put out his spikes on the track. The, the difference is if Maurice Green grabbed the fire extinguisher and went over to each competitor and hit each competitor with the fire extinguisher, you know, like the, 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 the gas that yeah. comes out of it, and he put all them out because he done burnt all of them. <laughs> That's the equivalent of it. That's what he just did. You're dead. <laughs> You're burnt. <laughs> that is it. The thing is, you want to, I feel like if you, you doing those kind of subliminals, let it be subliminal because the audience understands what just happened. But now you, you take it and make it a personal. But you know what? That's Noah's MO. Noah has always been like that, bro. Noah has always been like that. Noah, Noah said in an interview when he raced against Coleman uh, a few years back, it was like, Noah, were you looking at the clock when you looked over and it just so happened you were looking at Noah? I mean, looking at Coleman. And Noah said, what I got to look at the clock for? So I let you know who he's looking at. You know what I'm saying? So, and you already know how it went down with Arian going through the rounds yeah. at the champion, uh, yeah. the trials and everything in championships. So it was like, hey, that's who he is. So if you want to, if you want to shut him up, y'all, y'all got to beat this man. Hey, but, and until but, the end of the day, he got the crown on his head. Nah, but so we could, we could, we could say this then. Did a single poke the bear for that to happen? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he. I mean, I think he did, in a, in a certain way, because I think Noah was already on point of backing up what he what he did last year, and he just got caught lacking with a singer, right? But a singer is is a truth. In no, his own he right. legit. He legit in no, his own he right. Legit. He 100%. But what, not taking anything away why from is, him. Why I say he poked the bears because we've seen it happen with Arian. Arian, and you can see in the background of one of the races, Arian come across the line through the rounds and he was looking and Noah was behind him and Noah was laughing and pointing at Arian like, I got you, dog. Yeah. I got you <laughs> next year. It's on. <laughs> so clearly this is the dude that you don't poke. Yeah. Seriously, because he's going to come back and he's going to train with the intent of kicking your ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wanting to be number one is definitely a, a, a one-up. Because that goes back into that how bad the athlete wants it. Coaches want it, but once you have a coach that wants it and an athlete that wants it too, that's like a a great mix. Um, shoot, that's that's uh. You have anything else on this weekend? Other in track and field? No, man. We can close it out with that. But in other sports news, let's talk about Dylan the villain. <laughs> <laughs> Basketball, NBA. We got the playoffs going on right now. Um, Dylan, Dylan Brooks, who played from Memphis, from Memphis, <laughs> he um he just got released not too long ago from from Memphis, and a lot of people are questioning why that no, happened. No, no, he got released in the fashion. He didn't just get released. I've never seen a team put out a press release and say we release you, and you could never come back here. <laughs> never. <laughs> like we have no intent of re-signing you, ever. I ain't got. I ain't seen no basketball athlete get released. Why you? Why you think that is though? I don't know, but I, I've been hearing around like other interviews where people say like, "Yeah, man, they released him like that because he embarrassed they, the organization. Feel like he embarrassed them, man. He poked he poked the beer of, of LeBron James, and he sent them packing, and they was like he embarrassed their organization. So, but let's just say that is the the tipping point, right? But let's go back a little bit further because. Remember with Shannon Sharp and he had that altercation on the side, you know what I'm saying? Oh, the yeah. sideline of the court. And that actually was with Dylan too. 
Yes. So it made a whole disruption and it made the news for like almost a week, right? Of everything that was happening. So clearly this dude has priors of being that kind of guy who's a disruptor. 100%. So, so do you feel like uh, athletes who are disruptors in, this, in that kind of form are good for sports or are they bad for sports and they distract from what I think if, if, you're, if you're disruptive of a pur- purpose, so since you've been on a few stats, I think he had the most technical fouls in the league. I think like at 18 or something like that. Like Those are stats that you don't want. Right? That's that's not a <laughs> that's not even that's, a something, that's not something to get excited about. Yeah. That's you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so I think I think once you once you go to looking at those numbers and those type of things and why they are the way they are, um, it's not helping the team. All yeah. the organizations know that if you win, it helps sales, it helps ticket sales, and it helps everything else. And I think they're more so worried about that. But he was doing they don't think helped the team, so they initially got rid of him. Um, so. And I and from hearing around the league, they were like, man, he wasn't even that nice, you know what I mean, to be playing at the elite level. But obviously he has to be something because he's in the NBA. Yeah. Uh he has to be some type of player. Nobody just mistakenly gets in the NBA. Of course. So he he brought something to the table that was of value. But let's 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 play devil's advocate here real quick. So he's done all this, right? Caused a lot of disruptions. Uh, made headlines in a lot of ways. Poked the bear when it comes to LeBron James. Yeah. Um, but you know who's somebody who I feel has done the same thing? Draymond Green. Draymond Green has antagonized LeBron on the court. We've seen it for years when they played against each other. Draymond Green has assaulted athletes on the court, falling on them, laying on them, elbowing them, do all kind of stuff. He didn't basically turn basketball into a lightweight football game. I didn't see him come across the court and basically like dive tackle some dude. I'm going to show you the difference between doing that. I'm going to ask you one question that's going to dig your whole argument. How many championships does Draymond have? You're right. Yeah, exactly. You're right. And every time he's on the court, it, he does really well in the system that they run. So you're saying that basically he needs to be, Dylan should be an enforcer that knows that it's a championship caliber. Oh, yeah, you, you should be enforcing with purpose to help your team. But if you're enforcing just to antagonize athletes, you're just being a disruption to the game. So do you feel like, because they're different organizations now, Warriors is different from, you know, Memphis. Mm-hmm. They have different owners and everything, coaching system. Do you feel like they just don't tolerate that? Or do you feel like they should have gave him an opportunity to just kind of, re, kind of refine his antagonizing, enforcing ways? I feel like in every organization or any sport, winning brings leniency. Does the Golden State Warriors love the way Draymond carries himself? No. But if they feel it helps them get a championship, they're like, hey, we'll pay that fine. We'll pay that fine. Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll look past that. But if they were losing and Draymond was doing all of what he was doing, he's released also. But I just feel like the coaches, I feel like the Warrior, the Warrior coaches be like, and, and the staff, owners too, just be like looking at Draymond on the court and be like, oh my God, Draymond. <laughs> Why must you play like this? Yeah, yeah, but at the end of the day, seats are always packed. Yeah. And his jersey sells. You're right. At the end of the day, if it don't make dollar, it don't make sense. <laughs> don't make sense. Right. <laughs> okay. Speaking of Draymond, after <laughs> after their last game, they just beat, you know, they just beat the Lakers, right? So they won and won in the series right now. Um <laughs> he was doing a press conference and he had his kids. He has his baby girl, his daughter, and he had his son on his lap. 
And he was talking. He was like, hey, man, you know, I was out there training. I was in the court and my kids were there with me in the court. And his son looks up at him and says, he looks around and says, no, I wasn't. Listen, that's one of them. That's one one of your parenting rules come back to bite you in your behind when you always tell your kids to tell the truth. <laughs> he should have been teaching them the rules. Speak when you're spoken to. <laughs> because this kid let him know. He'd be like, hey, look, he should have talked to them and told them that story. Hey, man, we go in there and I sit you on my lap. We was in the gym. Bro, he, <laughs> could, he couldn't even do nothing. He couldn't even pinch him on the thigh, nothing like that. Like, hey, man. Because his kid would have been like on some, ow, why you pinching me? <laughs> <laughs> and told on him. And be told on right there. That's the whole thing where they say, be your own kids. Hey, his yeah. son never coming back at the press conference. He, and he, try, he, he just tried to keep talking like he ain't say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he ain't say it. But that's cool. What do you think about saw the Lakers win last night? If LeBron puts them away, LeBron moves on to win a championship. I know him fast forward and far ahead. He wins another championship. How does this strengthen his GOAT debate? It will strengthen his GOAT debate. I mean, he's getting closer to that, um, the point where I feel like it's going to make him equal to um, Jordan or better, which is rings, championship rings. I don't care. Listen, y'all can give me all the stats of he scored more points or he has more games or he's been on more teams that he's helped win championships before. But before LeBron James came along, we define... Michael Jordan had to go because of his championship rings and how he did it. So now we just can't change the narrative and say, oh, 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 well, you know, LeBron did this and this is why he should be the GOAT. No, we got to keep his status quo. If this, if, this is the, if this is the goal that an athlete needs to reach to be better than Michael Jordan, then you need to keep it at that, which is, I feel, the ring count. So him getting another ring, yes, that will keep the fuel going and the fire going for him becoming the greatest of all time, right? But if he can't close out this series against the Warriors and the Warriors move on and somehow the Warriors go on to win another championship and Steph gets another ring, which him and LeBron are tied for rings right now, I think. Yeah. And he gets another ring on top of LeBron. That conversation of him being better than Michael Jordan has to be dead. It has to be there, bro. Boy, we, we know LeBron fans won't let that die, okay? <laughs> that's, that's not going to happen. It ain't going to be dead. It'll, it'll still be festering. It'll be like maybe like the Crypt Keeper. You know what I mean? But it ain't going to be dead all the way. They, they still going to, uh, if you have to, or if you must say, create other things. Like LeBron is the oldest athlete to average 30 points. That's going to be a thing. Jordan didn't play this till he was 39. So... We can't have that stat for Jordan, but he would be the only player that doesn't come off the bench that's that old. But see, now you're going into, you, you going into Pandora's box and you opening it because what's happening now is now you impl you're implying that age is a factor, right? Now then you can have to imply that they played in different eras. Yeah. Now you have to imply that they played against different uh, uh, athletes of different calibers. So all these things, you can't put all these things on the table and then sift through them and say one's better than the other because it'll never be equal. Yeah. So but, it has to be championship. It has to be how many rings have you won. But that's what I'm saying. That's what the LeBron fans are going to do. LeBron's fans are going to bring things like that. And, and, and they're going to be biased because they're LeBron fans. And I always tell people, you know, it's hard to find people our age. They're LeBron fans, but they're still hold to Michael because we watch Michael play. The kids can't really relate 
to like saying Michael is their goat because they haven't seen the greatness of the Michael Jordan. They haven't watched him play. They haven't seen the, the shots that Michael made when you're like, this is impossible and it still drops. They haven't seen those type of things happen with Mike, who defied gravity, who defied a small man playing against a lot of bigs, the Patrick Ewings, the Charles Barkley's, all these guys were way bigger than him that dominated the rim up under them. So they haven't seen that. LeBron is like a, a juggernaut who should win. Basically the bully that should always win. You know what I mean? Listen, LeBron has been through a very unique career. Very. Um, he has done things in, our, in, in basketball that we've never seen before, right? Um, if he goes out, in my opinion, and wins the ring count, his, his uniqueness that led him to that ring count, no one can match that. And I have to give it to him. And I'm a LeBron fan. I have to give it to him. But at the end of the day, it's like right now, he has to be able to close out this series. He has to beat Steph, the Warriors, and make sure that they don't have the upper hand and have a ring on top of him. Because mm -hmm. if that's the case, in my book, how do, you, how, do you, how do you come back from that? You have to win two on top of that one. You got to say, oh, you know what? We lacked. But now we back. We win two, we win two championships back to back. But that's on the Western side. I, I could honestly say, man, I didn't think Miami would have made it this far. I didn't, I didn't even have Miami beating the Bucks. What do you, what do you think about Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler and those? And I think Jimmy is still on the sideline right now, and they still like you know doing with that thing. Listen, man, when I saw Jimmy play in the bubble, and he played his heart out, I was like, he needs some help over there. You get, you get a team surrounded around Jimmy. I feel like they go into the championship over every year. I don't see why not. Jimmy, Jimmy understands how to play the game. Jimmy sees and he has good, great court vision. It's just the fact that he, just, he lacks the support around him to get the job done. Yeah, real, real thing. And the funny thing, I like that he's more so defensive base. He scores because he needs to. He's not like, a, I'm going to go out there and try to get drop 30 or drop 35 tonight. He defends the ball well. And if they're lacking, he takes the shot. I, I like that about him because... He understands that if I stop them from scoring, and we got scorers, we win. <laughs> Listen, he gets somebody on his team like Dame. Dame is a, a pure scorer, right? You get someone like that who's going to hold the reins, Jimmy's just going to help facilitate, and he's going to play defense. They're going to be complete, bro. Yeah, man. But you, hey, you right. You right. If he gets somebody, that, that ain't going to happen, man. Dame ain't leaving where he, where he at. Not to go to New Miami. But that that would possibly be a really, 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 really good fit for him. But my bro, they got sixty, they got sixty million ready to uh to pour into somebody, dog. Yeah, but Miami gonna have to give up a lot of collateral, so he gonna lose some of the people who helped him get to this point. They're not gonna give up does for Dame. Not gonna give up does for Dame. <laughs> You're right, but it's Dame. It's Dame, dog. You're right. It's the You're same right. dude who can shoot half court, who can drill threes, just like Steph can drill them. 100%. On command. It's just the fact that he doesn't, he doesn't have a team that's around him as well that can they take him to that championship. That's why you let your powers combine. <laughs> <laughs> let our powers combine. They are, it has to be in this, in this type of league, man. It has to be in this type of league. Um, what, else, what, else, what else been on this weekend? Well, this is a little further, further back, but we didn't get a chance to talk about that Tank and Garcia fight, man. The Tank oh. and Garcia fight. How do you... 
How you feel about that? I know, I know it didn't happen this weekend, but I feel that Tank was very generous in letting Garcia keep his purse. But all of you don't know, they bet the whole purse on the internet on Twitch with Kai the week before the fight. Uh, Garcia agreed to it. I don't know if they did the paperwork for it. Yeah, I bet the, that winner takes all. But in an interview after, they asked Tank, "Are you going to let Garcia keep the money?" And he said, "Yeah." So I. I just want to say hats off to Tank, man. Not that Garcia is hurting, but that's a lot of money to give give away. Listen, I like this fight because there was no real bad blood between them, right? There was no real, real, let's say real shit talking, right? Um, and why I say this is because they, you could tell they tried to pump it up. You know what I mean? They tried to get each other's face a little bit. And they talked a little trash and everything. Um... But when they fought, it was just two different levels to me. Like Tank is a more seasoned athlete. He was able to, to see exactly what Garcia was going to move before Garcia even moved. And Garcia is no slouch at all. No. No slouch at all. I just think that Garcia needs a little more time to sharpen his skills and to be able to defend better and be able to come back. I would love to see them fight again because I feel like someone like Garcia can learn from the first fight. It makes the second fight even better. Listen, did you hear what Floyd asked him? I can't remember what round it was. He looks up at Tank. Tank's sitting on the thing. I don't know what round. He's like, hey, hey, champ, tell me, what, tell me about him in the ring, man. What's going on in the ring? Tank looks down at Floyd and said, nothing. <laughs> I said, said bro. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. But Tank, Tank is, is, his, his boxing IQ is very high. Yeah, you know, I've I've, I've watched him in a, in a few fights, and I've heard his interviews, and he was like, they asked him, how does he have so many knockouts? But in his head, he's really calculating how he's going to hit you or how hard and when to hit you. He's like, oh, he threw that right hand three times. If we do the same uh, 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 combo again, he's going to throw the right hand three times. Why would you do that? He's going to go one, two, and right as he attempt, he's going to knock your mind out, knock yeah. your knock your mind clean out. So. I think a lot of people underestimate, which is hard in boxing unless you have a, a rematch, how hard Tank hits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I found very, very impressive? Like, I watched a split screen of Tank's corner, and I watched a split screen of Garcia's corner, and, and his, uh, their men talking to each other, right? And um, Tank's corner wasn't giving him any kind of cues. He just was telling him, Man, it's time for you going to knock him out, basically, right? But on Garcia's side, he was trying to give him more cues about this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do. And it just showed me that Tank was on a whole different level. He didn't need anybody to tell him from the corner what to see because he was already seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. He was already seeing it. But, I mean, think about who, he, who he's learned from. I mean, I feel like um, Floyd Mayweather uh, has to be what a great mentor. I'm pretty sure he sparred with Floyd. And... But Floyd, if he knows that he has a hard hitter in the ring, mm -hmm. if he watch all his fights, he'll go to that, that shell until you get tired, and then he'll just outbox you. He doesn't have to be stronger because he understands this is boxing, not street fighting. I'm going to just outbox you and win the fight by landing punches. But when you get tired, that guard going to drop. So yeah. I feel like learning from somebody like that, but he's actually a stronger power puncher, yeah. is, is, is just great. Yeah. So... Since we covered that, let's jump back to this weekend that's happening right now as we speak. Um, Formula One, 
the U.S. tour, right, a Formula One, do you think it's the next popular sport in America? And why I say this because I mean, you, first of all, you love cars. I do. You love I do. cars I love a cars. lot. You can I do. you can hear the engine and be like, oh, that's a such and such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes. Some, so what do you, sometimes. How do you how do you feel about Formula One? Are you are you into it? What do you? I think Formula One is a great sport, but I think uh, it's it's not as as you know America's sport is NASCAR. That's that's America's number one love. That NASCAR Formula One is more so of a European and it's it's harder to follow. Um, but I think uh, event wise, you know, I was down there at the Formula One um, Expo this weekend, and, and, and it was an amazing, amazing experience, man. I've never been to one, but it was an amazing experience. Um, the who's who is usually at these things. I mean, the Jeff Bezos, the Michael Jordans. You can see anybody actors. They're at these events, uh, and it attracts a whole lot of money. And Formula One is really expensive. Really expensive. <laughs> so, so to a lot of people listening, um, me and Rod took a trip down to Miami, and we uh, networked and we mingled and we watched a little bit of the action, um, courtesy of uh, IWC watching watches. Uh, shout out to IWC um, for putting everything together for us. Um, I think that I think Formula One is going to be the next popular sport. The thing is, you got to be able to understand how it operates from the, I feel like from the inside and watch how powerful these cars are, watch how smart these drivers are on strategy and how relentless the crews are about keeping this delicate but powerful car operating at a high level constantly, you know? Yeah, but it goes so much. Like the team is so big. You have the engineers that, engineer the cars with the flight dynamics and the high-powered engines. And then you got the pit crew changes the tires and have to keep it out optimum rate. You got to, you know what I'm saying? And yep. these are all like computerized systems that transmit from the car, how the car is running to the engineers in the pit to tell them what to do when they pit, how to move and whatever. You know what I mean? And the pit crews, I feel like are amazing because they got to change the tire, put fuel in the car in a certain amount of seconds. Uh, not minutes, yeah. certain amount of seconds. I yeah. mean, it's it's amazing, you know what I mean, to 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 watch and and see that. But I, it, it it could possibly be, I think, marketed the right way. You put it in the right markets. You do they did Miami. I think you do Miami, Atlanta, L.A., New York, um, Houston, Dallas. You do like the major cities. I feel like it catches on. You know what I mean? Um, uh, and those and those type of um, cities, but uh. Yeah, I, I I definitely I definitely love the experience. I think if you get a chance, man, anybody get a chance to be around the ambiance of a of a of an F one event, please do so because it's an event. So I'm gonna get you in one of the cars, man, so you can you can experience the ride. Uh, I was, I've been I was, in a NASCAR before. You have? Yeah, yeah, okay. I've been in a NASCAR before, which is crazy. Like I didn't know how close they come to that wall. Yeah. Like they you could put your hand out the window and like touch it oh, yeah, at like 198 miles per hour. And I just <laughs> Yeah, bro. I was in an Indy car and actually Mario Andretti himself drove me. Wow. And we was hitting like one one fifty in the streets. Like zzz, 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 zzz. Yeah. And we was hitting turns at like 70 miles, 75 miles per hour. Yeah. To, to put it in context, man, they turning corners, and that's maybe pulling like maybe like Three or four G's. Oh yeah, uh, I felt all that pressure. Yeah, your yeah. whole body—you could feel all your insides press. Inside. 
side. <laughs> and, which we, I have respect for the drivers because you have to be in a certain level of shape or muscle memory to handle all the cornering and the moving and the shifting inside. Their bodies are strapped so tight inside of that and, and into that like seat because they're in like a harness seat belt, not like a regular seat. Yeah, yeah, for so. sure. But like I said, man, I'm gonna take you to one of these and see how it uh see how you like it, man. I think you would like it because of stats. You know what I mean? And you would be hooked, dog. Be yeah. hooked. Most definitely, man. We hope our listeners today enjoyed. We hope our haters listen today and keep listening. But uh, we're going to close out, man, and we thank everybody for listening to our podcast and being with us today. Uh, tune in for next time on Ready, Set, Go. And we out. Thank you.